Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by John Boyd Media. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Panic. We have a ton to get to. The season's over. A lot of you guys have not had a non-Giant season episode. Um, so that's why, uh, you know, we had a lot of people tweeting us, where's the pod? We, we do Tuesday and Friday, although we do respond to, like, big news. Like, so, like, John Mayer and Dave Gelman, if they're speaking today, we're, we'll, we'll record an episode tonight when you're listening to this um justin how are you doing man how are you feeling after the conclusion of the 2020 season yeah a little bittersweet because this is actually a football team that you didn't want to say goodbye to you know despite the year is grueling you know for 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 a lot of people um you know it's tough watching the team every week but this this group of guys is a group of guys that you root for this head coach is a coach that you're rooting for. And this was, you know, when it, when it got down to it, Bobby, and especially at the end of that Dallas game, you know, they, they play somewhat of a complete game. Somewhat is the key word there. Um, they play somewhat of a complete game. They find a way to win a game. They get their sixth win of the year and there's a shot to win the division. And you didn't want it to end by at that point. Um, and it did. So it's a little bittersweet, but there's also a lot of hope for, 2021 i think kind of kind of despite what happens this week i still think that there is gonna you know we're gonna talk ourselves into having hope how are you doing i'm doing all right i'm doing all right well well actually i'm not doing all right i've, I've been emotional all day i'm so i'm very sad the season's over before we get into that justin this episode was brought to us by six people we've got reptar on ice that's his name were you a rugrats kid I was a Rugrats kid, but I don't understand that reference because I think I watched Rugrats when I was way too young to understand things. Oh, it was Reptar on ice. We got Max with two X's, like Max Williams of the Cardinals. Actually, I think he would be a good signing for the Giants if he's a free agent. Uh, we got Anthony Mangabang. Mm. That's yeah. his name. Sure. Now, it might just be like Manabang. I don't know. We got Tom. Just, just terrific Tom. Just regular old Tom. Evan Ingram stanks, not mm. stinks, stanks. True. And then Dan Fernandez. But it's not Fernandez with the Z at the end. It's Fernandez with the S at the end. Mm. Wow. Oh, like, oh, for Fernandez, like my friend Renato Rodriguez. He doesn't spell it with the UEZ, spells it with UES. Those wonderful people, not including Renato Rodriguez. Who are these um, scumbags? They went to patreon.com slash talking giants for $2 a month. They gave their support. It's kind of crazy that those people, not crazy, it's it's very nice that those people gave their support and gave their $2 a month to uh, by the end of the season because we're not really going to be live streaming games. But um, I will try to maybe release some early content that I do video-wise with maybe a little bit of Bleeding Blue. I'll try to release some things early. Um, we do monthly shirt raffles. There's gonna, there's a lot of good perks of being a patron, and you could still watch the shows as we record them live over the offseason. Patreon.com slash Talking Giants. Also, I want to give a quick thank you um, to everyone who did leave a five-star rating on the Apple Podcast app. That was very yeah, unexpected. Yeah, blew us away. We hit like 100. 
that was very unexpected and we're we just crossed 500 and to be i think to be a giants podcast really to be any any podcast i don't think it matters what kind of category um you know without having any kind of blue check marks or anything like that you know we're not we're not anything big we're not anything important. we're not snobby douches we're not snobby unless i start talking about analytics which you know i'm a snobby douche then but to cross 500 ratings on the apple podcast app on for any kind of podcast especially something that's just talking about one football team is kind of crazy so thank you so much um we love you so but let's let's be yeah. sad for an episode let's be sad yeah yeah well, i you know thank you listeners but we we got we got all we literally have a lot to talk to him i have a full you know full sheet of notes i have two post-it notes we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about the giants game against the cowboys which was a which was a nice win which we can talk about but man the eagles freaking pissed me off last night what they did sucked like the and and for all the people making the dumb arguments like oh the, the you know other teams like rested their players they didn't rest their players they rested some players but the fact they took Jalen Hurts out in the fourth quarter was ridiculous and we'll play the Joe Judge quote but I thought Joe Judge really did put it perfect like that you just can't do that to your players if you rest them going into a game is understandable there's an agreement but you're Jalen Hurts or whoever and you go into a fourth quarter trying to win a game and they just bench you. Like to, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. That shows that like at Doug Peterson's like, I don't have your back players. I have ownership's back. And like, they're not going to forget that. They're not going to forget that. It doesn't mean Jalen Hurts is going to go out and tank the season for them, but they will not forget that, man. I thought that was such a crappy thing to do by Doug Peterson. And yeah, am I salty that the Giants were on the, on the wrong end of it? Absolutely. I'm salty about that. But you can also point out that, like, hey, that was kind of bullcrap, and it wasn't just Giants fans pointing out. It was regular people around the NFL. It was Eagles players, former Eagles players. Like, it's not crazy to, like, call that out for what it was. All right, so here's the Giants fan in me saying this. Uh, The Eagles are a scum-of-the-earth franchise, and I hope they never win a football game for the rest of my life. They can win a football game once I am in the ground and once I am deceased. They are not allowed to win a football game until that happens. They are scum of the earth. Um, Rocky Balboa let Apollo Creed die. We don't talk about that enough. And they have a statue of a fictional character, and they worship that man who let Apollo Creed die. Apollo Creed didn't deserve to die. All right, So, but here's here's the realistic take. Racist, the Philado- too. Don't forget, Philly's racist. Yeah, really. Bill Burr. Bill Burr, really. I listened to that 12-minute <laughs> comedy set. Um, and I started to listen to a podcast that was a behind the scenes look of how that comedy set in Philadelphia went down. If you don't know what we're talking about and you're really mad at Philadelphia, it is very much worth YouTubing Bill Burr, Philadelphia. And there will be a 12 minute video that has like 6 million views come up. It is very much worth your time. It is wonderful. <laughs> but but in, in realistic, maybe get maybe talking football for a second here. The Philadelphia Eagles are in a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. They could cut, and this is, you know, we love talking about research. Rick. Research Rick kind of loves looking at the salary cap. They can literally cut most of their significant players on, on their football team, and they will still be $30 million above the cap. They are in a terrible, terrible spot, and they need to find a sucker who can trade for Carson Wentz. Now, I do think that they may be able to tr- maybe find that trade partner, but knowing how smart the Colts are as a franchise, I, they, I, I'm hoping they won't be desperate. Um, you know, because that would be the ideal landing spot for Carson Wentz with, you know, or, or reuniting with Reich and everything like that. But you're going to need a desperate franchise to take on that contract and then restructure that deal. Carson Wentz has already said that he wants out. So I'm fine with, you know, not starting him or not even not even um, suiting him up. But you can argue the Eagles should have went to Jalen Hurts, 
a lot sooner than they did. They wasted that season for Jalen Hurts. They wasted that second-round draft pick to begin with because they created that quarterback controversy, which you can argue that Carson Wentz's inabilities in Philadelphia is more of a mental thing and confidence thing rather than actually him being a quarterback, like him performing as a quarterback. That's a whole argument to make as well. So they wasted Jalen Hurts' year. And when all people talk about when you draft a rookie quarterback and if you intend that rookie quarterback to be your franchise quarterback, all people talk about is how much, how can we get this guy more playing time? How can we get this guy more playing time? So instead of doing that, instead of finding, giving him valuable experience, which they screwed up and they didn't give him enough anyway, they took him out in a game that they could have won. That's the frustrating thing. And that is, that is why they are inept. That is why they don't deserve anything because they did this to themselves. They dug their grave. I hope nobody trades for Carson Wentz. So they are $60 million above the cap with a quarterback that doesn't want to play Jalen hurts, who now I'm sure doesn't want to play for them. They don't deserve anything. And that's my football take. That's not even my Giants fan take. Yeah, screw them. Let's hear what Joe Judge has to say. They asked me throughout the day, and, and I just can't express that. I think one thing to keep in mind with this season is we had a lot of people opt in to this season. Okay? We had a lot of people opt in. All right? Coaches, players. That includes family members as well. All right? So to look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day-in, day-out basis and to empty the tank – and then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always going to do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever want to disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. The sacrifices that they made to come into work every day and test before coming in, to sit in meetings spaced out, to wear masks, to have shields over those masks, to go through extensive protocols, to travel in unconventional ways, to get text messages at 6.30 in the morning telling practice is going to be canceled. We have to do a virtual day, okay, to tell them, please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. Please avoid Christmas gatherings. We know it's your wife's birthday. Let's make sure we put that one off to the off season. There's a number of sacrifices that have been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members of the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. That line at the end gets me. I'm, you know, we've we've had, you know, we've criticized Joe Judge where we felt it was due. But that line get like it, I, I am part of the the fighting Joe Judge's man. I think he said it best. Like you owe it to your players to go out and try and win every game, you know. And like you said, it's and I saw people bringing up the dumbest arguments, and, and Jeff Schwartz was at was at the top of them because Jeff Schwartz is probably the biggest dumbass on Twitter. Like he, he and he and his issues, he thinks he's smarter than everybody. Like in his literal name of his show, which I don't even know if they carry the SB Nation carries his dumbass show anymore. Is Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you? How arrogant and how much of a douchebag do you have to be that to, to be the title of your show? Remember when Bobby Hart called him out for giving up on the Giants when that's literally all Bobby Hart did all of his Giants career? I do remember that. Jeff Schwartz, you're a quitter. You're a loser. Um, but talking about like, um, well, no one said anything about the Jets. Well, the Jets didn't take their players out of games where they won. And what happened is the Jets won two games because they weren't actively tanking. It's what ownership will do ownership stuff. But as a coach, and a player, you owe it to each other to go out and try and win. Okay, if a pl- let's put it this way: 
Let's put it this way. What if a player gave up in the fourth quarter? He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I started this game. I'm out. I'm done. I'm not doing this. What if Jalen Hurts gave up on him? That's such a garbage argument. And I get the Giants. They didn't, quote, unquote, deserve to make it to the playoffs. If one more ter- person tells me that they need to win more than six games, I'm going to throw up because you're just re- repeating the most obvious dumb crap of, oh, really? Oh, really? Would winning more games been uh, what the Giants should have done? No kidding. But just think of a player did that. Yeah, in a world where the effort of athletes is questioned all the time. Now, I have a feeling that might have always been the case. You know, you know, even when uh, Babe Ruth in the 1930s was making $30,000, right? Um, I have a feeling that, that the effort of athletes to go out and play a game has always been questioned. Now, also... I think I do recognize that they are, are very privileged people where they get a lot of money to, to play a game, but Joe judge saw an opportunity. And this is part of the brilliance of Joe judge. He saw an opportunity to be a player's coach where he could have easily saved face with the relationship of another NFC East rival and, and, and another NFL coach in the national football league. He could have easily just saved face with that relationship and just played ho-hum like up, oh, you know, it, it is what it is. They did what they had to do. I'll leave everything to the Philadelphia Eagles. He started it out like that, but I was waiting for the moment because obviously the, all, the, all the clips were released on social media, but you were watching the 20-minute press conference and you were just waiting for the butt because he was saying, oh, we'll leave that to the Eagles. The Eagles are doing their own thing. However, you were waiting for that. However, you're waiting for their butt, and he didn't disappoint. Um, so in a league where in – and in really in a world where we question the effort of athletes – Joe judge took that opportunity to be a player's coach to say, these guys sacrifice their family sacrifice. They sacrifice a lot, especially this year, the circumstances that was this year. I think players are going to see that. And more importantly, players are going to talk about that with each other. Come play with us. I think there's a value to it. And and judge said in his presser, he's like, I was asked by players about this all day today. Um, I mean, like I said with the player example, I mean, think about someone who wherever I'm at least I'm very critical of Odell. What if Odell did something like that? He would never hear the end of it and be the same people going after him. <sighs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just frustrating and it's frustrating because the Giants beat the Cowboys earlier in the day on Sunday. You know, Daniel Jones looked good. And then Evan Ingram had some drops. We're not going to do really a game recap, but there were some good moments. I mean, the defense looked good. It just sucked because I, I was on cloud nine. I was feeling good. Uh, you know, I was tweeting out how I'm proud of, of certain players on the team and, and all this. And then, you know, we had hope. We had hope. Philly was in that game. And yeah, they were winning. I do, I do think they, I do think they win if Jalen Hurts plays that game because they got the, they got the ball in, in uh, their like uh, uh, section of the field like twice, I think. And Sudfield couldn't do anything because he's, he's a loser. And then, yeah. And Doug Peterson to flat out lie about it too. It was kind of ridiculous too. Yeah. Um, people that love to talk about, you know, how, you know, how Washington's offense is good or, you know, there, there was a whole discussion about Chase Young versus Andrew Thomas today. And you know, the fact that people were still talking about that week six, week 15 game, week 16 game, the Chase 15. Young bowl, the Chase Young bowl from, from 2019, people were still talking about it. And simply just because Washington made the playoffs, that that oh and and the correlation of Washington made the playoffs and they have Chase Young, therefore the Giants should have lost that game. 
because the, then the Giants would have automatically been been Washington as a football team. Um, I want you to look at Washington's offense and how they performed against a very, very, very bad, depleted, benched, triple uh, A Eagles defense. Alex Smith at at the start of the Alex Smith at the start of the third quarter. I didn't see what it was at the end of the game. I'm probably it probably didn't even change because they were so conservative in the second half. Alex Smith's average intended air yards in terms of how far he was throwing the ball down the field at one point in the third quarter was three and a half yards. Alex Smith was averaging throwing the ball downfield three and a half yards per attempt. That is putrid. This Washington team is not good. This Washington offense is not good. And when you have an offense that can't do anything, it can't produce anything. And if you don't have a quarterback, which Washington doesn't, it doesn't matter what you have around you. At least the Giants have a quarterback who we don't know if he's the answer, but we have a quarterback who we feel like we can build around and we can give a shot. Washington does not have that. So stop with the comparisons of, oh, we should be Washington because Washington is Chase Young and the Giants don't. Stop it. Yeah, and if that's your case, then the Washington screwed up their draft pick this year big time. They went yeah. from you know eleven to to nineteen, or they should or have worse. taken Tua. Oh, I thought you meant in, I thought you meant in twenty twenty. I think I'm they should have taken Tua. This 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 up. Oh yeah, twenty twenty. I forget that's twenty twenty one now. Um, yeah, and and people don't re, re, people don't like to bring up that Andrew Thomas shut down Chase Young. Yeah, and like, would you have wanted Cam Fleming starting left tackle? I'm no. sorry. I get that we had some edge issues, but at the end of the day, we had the ninth best defense in the NFL. The ninth best defense in the NFL. And we have our our franchise left tackle, and I'm very confident when I yes. say that. So Yeah, and the same – typically, a lot of people that do complain about the Chase Young thing are also supposedly people who believe in positional value and talk about the 2018 draft. Well, having a franchise left tackle is much more important than having a franchise edge rusher. And getting edge rushers in a scheme – you know, getting edge rushers in a scheme that you really like and a scheme that you really approve of is something you can do. Kyla Fakro was the most average edge rusher in the league in, in the league this year, and that it, that is in terms of his pressure rate and his run stop rate. Like though he was right in the middle in terms of that quadrant, um, and he, he had like two sacks less than Chase Young. Yeah, well, I'm not you know, I'm not comparing Kyla Fakro and Chase Young. I'm saying in a in a I system know, funny. in a system you can have rotational guys and be fine and be functional left tackle. You're on an Island. A lot of times you are on an Island and it is player performance that will get you by. And guess what? Nate Solder wasn't going to get the job done. Uh, uh, Chad Slade wasn't going to get the job done. All right. I don't want to talk about this, but um, these are just, these have just been takes that have been going around social media and like hindsight's 2020 of the giants, not making the playoffs. So, Yeah. Do you have anything else from the Joe Judge presser? I mean, that was the biggest thing. There was, you know, a couple other quotes that were, you know, um, you know, catch your eye. But he, he, um, he, he's, he's seen calm. He's seen calm. He, Ryan Dunlop, or not, it wasn't Ryan Dunlop. Steve Serby had him laughing at yes, the end. At the end, he was like, yeah, I got 10 questions for you, Joe. Um, I'm excited to just see how he is going to grow. Um, he really does take self-reflection seriously. And to get a little to get a little nerdy, you know, um, you know, part, part of my, part of the way that I've been brought up and I include my, my education in that, um, part of how I've been kind of brought up is self-reflection and thinking about, you know, what, what am I doing? What am I doing that is right? What is everyone else doing that, that may be right? How can I basically how the question of how can I be better? 
you do get the sense and you do get the feeling that Joe Judge takes that question seriously and he takes that process very seriously. So I'm happy to see how Joe Judge is going to grow. I'm happy to see how his staff is going to grow. Hopefully most of it can stay together, not including on the offensive side. Um, and we can and we can go forward from there. I'm excited to see what this what this guy can do and how and how he, he can continue to impact the Giants organization in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, when's the next time we'll hear from him? Is, is the combine? I don't know. But pro- yeah, they don't, we don't. He he talked about in the press conference how we don't even know the details of the the combine. And I may this, see him at the Senior Bowl. Yes, that's what I was thinking. He, we may hear a quote at the Senior Bowl, but not in anything formal. So. Maybe I'll get it. I think I'm the only person who covers the Giants that's going to the Senior Bowl. Or I asked Dan Duggan. He said he's not going. Uh, Falado, I don't think he's going. I might be the only person there. It's because you're the only crazy one that's willing to travel during this time. But good for you. That's you, true. You, you do it. You do it. You do it for the people, Bobby. Um, I, I can't wait. I, I mean, I haven't been out of the state since since the Giants Dolphins game last year. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, nothing crazy. Uh, you know, before before we move on to 2021, man, I. You know, Joe Judge. Something he did say is is you, he wants you to feel proud about being a New York Giants fan, and I do. I feel I today I feel proud. Um, now, if they don't move on from Jason Garrett, I may feel yeah. a little less proud. But today, I feel proud of what Joe Judge has done, what Patrick Graham has done. Hell, how Daniel Jones grew from the first half of the season to the second half of the season, where you know he threw one interception in the second half of the season, and it was off of the hands of of Evan Ingram. One fumble loss, and it was a you know totally getting lit up on a max protect play with two point one seconds. Yep. Uh, as just as a whole, you know, and it's 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 six and ten isn't pretty, but you know we feel with a good off season that you know what we should be competing next year. Where this time last year, I don't know if we felt like that. No, I think we felt like hey, if if things go our way and our offense can really take a huge step and outscore people. Then it can we can be a team that competes, and you know what if if the offense lived up to the expectation, even the just even if they were a little lower than the expectations, you know what we probably win a few more games. Yeah. Just had a thought. I'm a little little worried about defensive consistency because defensive consistency in the National Football League is very tough. Um, NFL uh, NFL good offensive minds find out ways to crack codes and schemes, but you do trust Patrick Graham. But I is this is this a good transition to talk about? what front office and coaching staff could possibly look like next year. Do we want to get the, the, the news out of the way? Yeah, let's, we'll, we'll start. You mentioned Patrick Graham where yeah. the jets uh, at the, are the only team that's asked him so far. doesn't mean no one else will. I am so proud of what uh, Patrick Graham did. Now don't get me wrong. They did add some key players, you know, adding Bradbury, Blake Martinez, Logan Ryan. Those were some key additions, but he took a defense a defense that was ranked 30th. Rank 30th. We did not have expectations for this defense. Our expectations, our hope for this defense was to be not bad, like just good enough to allow us to outscore teams. And, and you know, how the, the tables turned on that. He turned at the 30th ranked defense into the ninth ranked defense and was better in basically every single category, whether it's penalties. I mean, the you know, the passing, I think they scored like, you know, opposing teams scored like 10 less touchdowns, six less points per game. The ninth-ranked defense from the 30th-ranked defense in one year is a really, really nice jump, Justin. Yeah. Yeah, I, I try to look at the some of the more advanced categories. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I don't 
because I'm trying I'm trying to think, you know, is it because the Giants scored more points last year that teams felt like they needed to score more points last year? But also the Giants, they were getting off to uh, terrible starts. They were getting off to, you know, multi-score touchdown deficits last year. The Giants this year, they weren't doing that, at least not in the second half of the season. Um, they were they were keeping games relatively close besides the San Francisco game. Um, you you felt like the Giants had a shot at every single football game besides that San Francisco game this year. So explosive, the, the, really the big thing for me and just the, the one stat that shows how dramatically how the Giants defense changed from 2019 to 2020 is the explosive play rate um, in the passing game from 2019 to 2020. The Giants were worst in the National Football League in terms of allowing explosive pass plays. And then for the majority of the season this year, they were the best in the National Football League at preventing explosive plays. That dichotomy is tremendous. That one stat is the thing that I feel really kept this Giants team in games because this is a passing league. This is a deep passing league. This is a league of explosive plays. And when you limit teams to not producing explosive plays, you have a shot in every single football game, which is also reason, the reason why our the Giants offense struggled so much is because they didn't produce explosive plays. But that is just so impressive. I think that one stat really does kind of contextualize just how impressive Patrick Graham in this unit was. You're muted. Really hope we don't lose him to the Jets. Um, <laughs> I, uh, oh, uh, this is a good time to bring up. I, I am, I'm back on Twitter by the time everybody's listening to this. But for 12 hours, I was banned from Twitter because I threatened the Jets. I said, I will punch you in the throat. And I added them. I tagged them at NY Jets because I was I was so sad. I, I was not I was mad. I was mad that they were <laughs> they were interviewing Patrick Graham. And it was literally within 10 seconds after I tweeted that out that I got the that I got the I, I violated Twitter's code. So um there's a conspiracy going on. We need to we need to protect we need to protect Patrick Graham at all costs. Well, I can one up you. I got noticed today. How about that? Mm. In Florida, I got noticed today. How about that? In a, in a way way. Yeah, at a at a way way. Um, someone's like, "Go Giants!" I was like, "That didn't say of... your name." That's the that's the odd thing. Yeah, you probably didn't want to like freak me out, you know, Bobby. Who's this guy stalking me? And then he's in. He, someone comes in the stream. He's like, I yelled at you today at Wawa. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. I asked. <laughs> Excuse me. It was a uh, kind of cool, kind of cool. All right. Okay. Um, scale scale of one to ten. How afraid are you that we're going to lose Patrick Graham? Two. Okay. Uh, I'm a four and a half. I think uh, most of these guys. I think most of these coaches want offensive guys. If they're going to go defensive guys, there's guys who have been waiting a little longer, and and, and Robert Sala, Matt Eberflus. The only case he would have to me is if he just did Joe Judge style and yep. just blew away somebody in the interview room. Yep. But I just don't think these coaches they're not looking for defensive coaches. They're just not. Um, and you look at you look at the the vacancies out there, and they all have something in common: either a young promising QB or or in a draft slot to have. A young promising QB. Yeah. So I don't I don't know who's gonna want to go defensive. But somebody could. Somebody could. That's true. What are this what are the chances that one to ten the Chargers make Jason Garrett their head coach? Yeah, so that was rumored. Um no, that's real. Well, he, here here's the thing. And this is what I was I was actually listening to NFL network this morning. I usually never watch national television. Um but this is the case of 
and this is something that makes sense for LA. LA Chargers, think of how many sports teamers are in LA. There's the Clippers, there's the Lakers, there's the Dodgers, and they're honestly the Angels. the little they're the little brother of even the Kings for crying the out loud. But I'm saying they're their little brother to the Rams. So the LA Chargers are literally bottom of the barrel. Bringing in Jason Garrett, I do not think is going to put any excitement into the franchise. It's not going to put anybody else into the seats. Dude, he had one season below 500 or something like that. I know you're saying that sarcastically. They but- have to fire him. That will be my test of Joe. what I think of Joe Judge. Do you fire Jason Garrett? You got to fire him. You have Maybe to they fire don't him. have to. Maybe they don't have to. They have to fire him. Now, Daniel Jones has gotten better in it, but they have to fire him. It's too, it's too I mean, it's too late. That That's, that's the too thing. A little too late. It's, it's, that's the thing. And Joe Judge actually, he talked about it today. Um, he talked, this is one of the things that he talked about in his press conference where, you know, uh, this could just be coach talk, but you constantly do need to be evolving in the National Football League. Like schemes are going to change, um, which I don't think it was in any kind of reference to if they may move on from Garrett or not move on from Garrett, but things are, you want to keep some of the basic concepts the same, um, which I do think Joe Judge's influence in the running game, by the way, like how vanilla was the running game to start the year. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, Joe, we hear the rumors that Joe Judge is starting to get more involved in the offensive line. And it, the running game is changing. There's more pulling guards. Caden Smith is being used as a, as a lead blocker. Those things were not established from day one. 30% of the Giants' uh, r- uh, rushing attempts before the Dallas game were tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. After week five in Dallas, that was not the case. And we were still playing some pretty tough teams even after that too. So I don't want to hear, you know, Jason, you know, Jason Garrett's you know, scheme of, of the rushing game, anything like that. There's no excuse to keep him. There was nothing that he was doing that was really creative. It, it was too little, too late. What, so yeah. scale of one to 10, how do you feel? How do you feel that the Chargers might hire him or another team might hire him? Well, let's just say, let's just go. He's gone. Okay. I'm getting a little worried. I'm still sitting pretty confident at eight and a half. He's, he's eight and a half out of 10 that he's gone. I'm out of five. I'm worried. I think there, what, there had to be tension, Bobby. There had to be tension. There had to be some sort of working conflict because the game plan did change the last three weeks of the season. And it was kind of a dramatic change where guys were running downfield and Jones was throwing the ball downfield. That is a drastic kind of change. And Freddie Kitchens kind of forced the hand. I don't think you, as, as a professional, now Jason Garrett is not Mark Colombo. Jason Garrett has actually had success in the National Football League, if, if you want to define it that way. He's won a lot of football games. And I think He's you, get a fit, you, you take that personally. I, I, am just, I, I am worried that he stays. Um, but we'll, we will see. Uh, I think they, but I do think they wanted to do exit meetings to today and tomorrow. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not like last year where you're firing the head coaches and you're not really doing exit meetings. So they may want to move on. They may want to do the exit meetings and then do it. Um, which leads me to Gettleman and Mayor are supposed to speak either today when you're listening to this or tomorrow. Um, well, we're going to be recording after those guys talk. So we're going to save some takes, but. I'm pretty sure Gettleman's back and I'm not, and I'm, you know, I know a lot of people are mad at it. I'm, I'm not, I will, we'll save it for that episode, but I, I put out a, a tweet today. It's like, I, 
you can make every case that he deserves to be fired. And you, you know, if you look at the record, he deserves to be fired. But he is someone, whether it was with Shermer and Betcher or with Joe Judge and Patrick Graham, he is someone who always takes the input of his coaches and personnel hires uh, and, 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 you know, free agents or draft picks. Like he takes into account what those guys say. And it worked out really well for Joe Judge. So I get the record has sucked. 2018 was bad, but it, I don't, I don't think Dave Gettleman's inept like a lot of people do. Yeah. The problem with 2018 being bad is it wasn't just bad. It was absolutely brutal. And they're, Look, you know, you can look at the 2018 draft as brutal as you want. We were, well, Bobby and I kind of proposed grading, grading Dave Gettleman's moves, which it wouldn't be fair. And it's for this exact reason that you have Lorenzo Carter, who's hurt, and, you know, BJ Hill and uh, Will Hernandez not knowing what his future is going to be. Um, Saquon Barkley, obviously, the controversy that's surrounding taking a running back. And I, and we don't want to revisit that. However, I think, I think that. I think right now that's a failure of a draft pick, Saquon. I think Will Hernandez, if they trade him this offseason, that's a, that's obviously going to be a failure of a draft well, pick. Well, the fact that Will Hernandez is not a clear-cut starter makes it – like, I, yeah. Will Hernandez to me is, is clear-cut better than Shane Lemieux. But the fact that he hasn't totally earned that job where it's like, no, like he's back, yeah. he's playing. And you can't really say the COVID excuse because he didn't play at all this week. Yeah. So, if anything, his reps got lower and lower each week. Yeah, and so that's just the beginning of the draft, and then you include the free agency moves, how there there was not a single free agent acquisition that was made in 2018 that had any sort of impact, and I don't even know if I don't even know if any single free agent from 2018 stepped on the football field for the 2020 Giants. Now I understand that's you know that's what happens when you fire head coaches, that's what happens when this all this change is happening, but the sins of 2018, I think the 2020 Giants felt the brunt of those sins. And it was the fact that we, we lost the division by one game. You know, that, that was, that was it right there. You know, if there, if there's even one or two moves that are actually making some sort of an impact from the 2018 season, whether, whether that is in the free agency or in the draft, obviously Lorenzo Carter is the one exception that's, you know, he got hurt and that's tough and he'll be back next year, hopefully. Um, but if there's one or two moves from 2018 that, that are impacting the giants, 2020 giants, in some sort of positive way, the giants could be in the playoffs. That's the theory. And Dave Gettleman hurting the team for two, three years and just getting it right now. I don't know if that's a good enough reason to keep him for 2021. That now here's my thing. I don't if think they, 2019 was bad by Dave Gettleman either. If they will also, this is also where you have to get into bringing in Pat Shermer, where, you know, this is where we don't know the influence of John Mara and also bringing in, I think bringing in Jason Garrett also should be a fireable offense, 100%. Now, we don't know the influence of John Maris. So unless John Maris stands up on that podium tomorrow, Bobby, and says the Giants' offense were this, was the second-worst scoring offense and the second-worst offense in the National Football League in terms of yards per game this year, I was responsible for bringing in Jason Garrett. Unless he stands up there and he says that, Bobby, we are also forced to believe that Dave Gettleman had a decent amount of say and who the head coach and who and what coaching staff is brought in and what the identity of this football team is. Therefore, Dave Gettleman needs to also be held accountable. You, John Mayer is not selling the team. John Mayer is not getting fired. So that is not a realistic solution. 
But unless John Maris stands up there and says that, Dave Gettleman also needs to be held accountable for helping create the second worst offense in the National Football League when we were actually expected to be an above average offense. Yeah, and and we said on the voicemail pod, I, I view I view the John Mayer influence as a weakness of Dave Gettleman's that he should, you know, be able to like flat out be like, hey, like no, we're not do like feel feel free to do that. Now, if he does do that and and John Maris still goes against him, then that's one thing. But you know, I, I was listening to the Ryan Rosillo show last week and they're talking about Nick Saban, and I get you know, college programs not the same as the New York Giants, but when he went to Alabama for his interview, he trashed the school. He's like, this sucks. This needs to be improved. This needs to be improved. And like some of the boosters were like pissed off at him. And others were like, no, this is what we need. We need someone who can do like, well, is willing to do all this. So, well, but we'll save. But would we'll you agree? Get no, but would you, for- would you agree with that though? That bringing it, help, helping facilitate and bringing in Jason Garrett should also be a huge, you know, yeah, that's my against point. Dave Gettleman's record. Yes. Yeah, really his only bad decision of 2020. But it's it's that that one decision, I realistically think is the difference between the Giants not making the playoffs and making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. Um, but we'll we'll spend some time with Dave Gettleman right. on uh, whichever whenever our episode is, whether it's tomorrow or two days from now. I will also be bought in if they if they let go of Garrett. I will I will eventually be bought in on on keeping Garrett if they choose to make that decision because because twenty twenty and that and this offseason was so good. I will eventually be bought in. I won't be this sour boy all offseason. Yeah, and we'll we'll and I think that comes to it is like here, like I can't stand Jason Garrett. You guys know, like I I when I believe in something, I believe in something. Whether you know it was James Betcher last year, like, uh, and I didn't I didn't hate Pat Shermer. I just at the end of the day, I just like, hey, what do, what do I actually feel? Not you know, let's talk about this move. What I, I just him bring, coming coming back does not bother. It just doesn't. But we'll we'll, we'll spend time with Dave Gettleman on, on the next episode when we know for sure because maybe maybe he does get fired and we're and we're talking about him being brought back. So let's get some news before we go to do some season season awards. Uh, Giants signed uh, thirteen future contracts, uh, two exclusive rights free agents, Madre Harper and Jackson Barton. And then the exclusive rights guys, uh, defensive lineman David Moa, running back Taquan Mizzle, cornerback Quincy Wilson, tight end. Guess who? I don't know. Of Mice and Men, Rice and John. Rice and oh. John is back. Uh, he was on the practice squad. Kenny Wiggins, who's a vet. Um, so interesting that he signed the Futures. Carson Tinker, long snapper, Jaron Williams, talking Giants Instagram commentator, Jaron Williams. Maybe we'll do like a written interview with Jaron Williams for, for Danny or something. I just I don't want him on the pod, but I'm sure he would do like he would do like five questions. Montre Hardage, who you know he could be a player next year. Yeah, Clayton Thorson, QB, Chad Slade, who you know he's he'll be competing for potential uh, potential starting left tackle for the Giants if they didn't take Andrew Thomas. Yes, yes. Trent Harris, Alex Bachman, he'll get another shot, and then the and the New York Giants all time leader in completion percentage, Alex Tanny's back. Alex Tanny's back in our life for at least free agency. Slash draft. I think he'll Does make, that make you I th- happy. I think he'll start the year in the, on the ninety. I think so too. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're going to bring four QBs in the camp right now. They have Jones, maybe McCoy, Tanny, and Thorson. So they have four. They'll probably bring four in the camp. There you go. Because they're not. I don't think they're going to bring someone else in and Colt McCoy. Uh, and I honestly, can I be honest? I don't hate Colt McCoy as a backup. We may we may need to invest into somebody. I mean, 
Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy is a backup in a different system that isn't this system. Maybe. I don't know. Just one, I never believe in drafting any QBs that aren't like first round. Don't don't hit me with the disclaimers about Russell Wilson and Tom Brady. Look at the overwhelming majority of good QBs the last 20 years. How come Ryan Nassib didn't turn into a Russell Wilson? That's my question. Yeah. First round, first round or bust for me with quarterbacks and then free agent and then backups. I mean, if you got the money, you're the Colts. You got the money to do it. But I don't think we're going to have the money to really nope. spend some money to get a Marcus Mariota as a backup. No, no, we will not. Um, Tough spot. Other news. Schedule for 2021. Uh, obviously, the divisional games. I hope we get Eagles week one, by the way. Uh, away games, Chiefs, Chargers, Bucks, Saints, and Bears. Home games, Falcons, Panthers, Raiders, Broncos, and Rams with a possibility of the Dolphins. Any of those games that uh, like peak out? Like, oh, I can't wait to go to that home game, Justin. Well, man, the home schedule is rough next year in terms of enter- entertainment factor, but it's exciting from the potential that the Giants could win some games at home. Now, obviously, um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of what ifs for the offseason. A lot of the, you know, every team is going to improve, but the Falcons have a head coach change. Uh, in the, in the midst, they also may be trading their quarterback. Carolina is probably going to change their offensive coordinator because Joe Brady's probably going to leave. And Joe Brady's the best thing that's happening in Carolina right now. Denver, Pat Shermer reunion. He's not going anywhere. You got to come up for that game. I can't believe the Broncos haven't fired Vic Fangio. He seems to really not be a head coach, Vic Fangio. Um, I, I Playing- thought for sure. Playing the Raiders is cool. Um, I have now, a lot of friends who are Raiders fans, so I'm hoping, like I whatever I'm going to go to a game in December. That's kind of like my thing. Um, so I'm hoping it's the Raiders, or if the we have, or if they do have the 17th game, the Dolphins. That would be exciting. Just, it would be funny. It's like all the only team I play is oh go, go I watch for the Giants was the Dolphins. Last two Giants games I've been to is Dolphins. Eli Manning's last win last year, and then and um. 2015 Tom Coughlin's last win on Monday Night Football where Odell had those two touchdowns. Yeah. So home slate, exciting for the fact that next year could actually be a year where Giants fans actually feel like they have home field advantage again. Um, still way too early, but um, Dolphins If the Rams be... game is later in the year, we can realistically be favored in every one of those home games that isn't divisional. That is true. That is true. Like Buys Broncos, Giants, Raiders, Bob. Panthers, and Falcons, we can we will probably be favored in all of those. I don't know about the Raiders. Depending on what week, if we play Raiders week like Rams, like Raiders week three, I can see us being favored. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what they do this this off season. Um, yeah, love it. Love love the home schedule for the potential to win, but don't love it from an entertainment factor. the The away schedule very tough. <laughs> yeah, it really is very tough. Oh, so we are playing the Bears again. We are in in Chicago, I believe. I love playing the Bears. I do. Every year, tough. It's tough I, every year. This will be four years in a row playing the Bears. What are we? Two and two, three and one. Um. It will this net upcoming year will be will be. We're one and two. We're one and two. We won the one with Saquon. Yes. Where Saquon had that run at the end of the half. Yes. And then we lost the one where Daniel Jones had that crazy ass throw at the end of the game. And then this year, week two. There you go. Um, I love, I just love playing Chicago. I just, I can't lie about it. And when we had Robert Smith on, who's like one of my favorite people to interview, he's like, we just got to get the Giants and Bears to keep finishing in the same place. So there you go. There you go. Um, what does suck about the Bears is their film sucks. 
But oh my god, that all twenty-two angle—it's it's, it's it, horrible. It's terrible. I don't know. I couldn't imagine being a Bears like film oh, guy and having to god. deal with that. No wonder why their offense sucks every year. It's because they 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 can't the offense can't see they can't see what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got another. We got some time. Let's do awards for the season because awards. you know we're looking for topics. Awards for the season. Um, I mean, should we just get right into it? We don't need yes. to do some drum roll or anything. Oh, oh, oh. Should, we go, we, should we go important awards to least important or least ah. important to important? We should do. We should do most most important. No, let's do least important to important because oh, okay. we want to make people listen to the end. That's that's true. That's, that's good business right there. They don't teach you that in college. No, they don't. They, they probably do actually, but it's common sense. Proving my point. You don't need. I, to didn't, I didn't do well. I didn't do well sense. in my marketing class. So, yeah. I doesn't matter if you did do well. I I would be smarter than you. It's a fact. It's that facts, Kellerman. What's the first category, Bobby? Should we? Okay, so we're going least important to most important. Rookie of the year. Who's your rookie of the year? My 2020 New York Football Giants rookie of the year is Darnay Holmes. Yeah. Andrew Thomas. No, no. I love Andrew Thomas. I think he had a great second half of the season. I'm not going to take any away any of your thunder if the, he is your rookie of the year, especially because you've looked at him every week. But I talked about the explosive play rate to start the show and t- kind of towards the beginning of the show. Think about the 2019 Giants again, where, and not even the 2019 Giants. Think about the Giants for years. Teams would just put their best cornerback or their best wide receiver in the slot because they knew that the Giants had absolutely nobody in the slot that could defend any of these wide receivers. Where maybe there's a capable uh, outside cornerback. You know, if you have Janoris Jenkins, if you have DRC, you have whoever. Um, but teams have just exploited the slot for years. And Darnay Holmes comes rolling around. And even in games where the Giants were without Darnay Holmes, you felt like this was a different group. So it wasn't even just a product of Patrick Graham's system. I genuinely felt that Darnay Holmes being on the field was so, so important because he makes everyone else around him better because then that means uh, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, Xavier McKinney, whoever they're playing their roles. That also means Nate Ebner's not on the field, by the way, which is really nice. (laughs) So uh, Darnay Holmes had... Really good rookie year. There wasn't a lot of times where you were saying his name. Um, his average depth of target was really good. Not pretty sure he didn't even allow a touchdown. Darnay Holmes is my rookie of the year. You have Darnay Holmes for a, a different award, so I'm going to save my takes on him. My rookie of the year is Andrew Thomas. Man, I am I am very proud of his rookie season. You know, it seemed like it was getting worse and worse as the season went along. Like you know, Pittsburgh was really good week one. Chicago, he gave a sack, but it was like, okay, you, it's still an all right game. San Fran had some bad moments. It just seemed like it was getting worse as the season went along. Then you had that Philly Thursday night game where it all like, came to a head and, and people were, you know, calling him a bust. They were writing, you know, articles are being written about him. And then he goes up against JPP and shuts him down and shuts him down. And then he goes up against Chase Young and shuts him down and shuts him down. Then he goes up against Philly where he was embarrassed dominates them gives up one total coverage sack dominates them and he's a beast in the run game throughout all this then he goes against cincinnati plays uh, flawlessly seattle flawless um arizona not the greatest game but it was just it was mostly just a bad fourth quarter and miles garrett shuts him down and then yesterday versus dallas or on sunday with dallas he was on an island 
I mean, they're, they're putting him on a total island out there against some good pass rushers with Jones standing in the pocket, not like quick hit like throws, like standing in the pocket, and he is to be trusted. These plays turned into fumbles in 2019 because of Nate Solder. Like, I am so proud of his rookie season, man. And I can't wait because and, – and what's beautiful about Andrew Thomas and what pisses me off about the draft takes of he's the most pro-ready, low ceiling – bullcrap he's got the most to improve to me out of Mikai Beckton out of definitely Jedrick Wills I don't watch enough Tristan Works he has a lot to improve on and he was really good he's the most athletic of that four I am so excited to see what his future is and I am very I am I am very proud of his year when this year could have been really bad for him okay you know people were calling him a bust now I know New York fans are nuts and they call anybody a bust who has a bad three-game stretch but for him to bounce back, to have that confidence going into year two, I'm so happy for him. He's my rookie of the year. There you go. Um, it was noticeable that I think he had his best game of the year on Sunday. Like It was noticeable by the TV that the fact that he was out on, on an island, the fact that he was giving Daniel Jones lanes to step up in the pocket, um, I noticed it from like the first half that, whoa, Andrew Thomas is beasting right now. So I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, most underwhelming. Bobby, do you want to go first this time? I'll go first. Darius Slayton. Darius mm. Slayton to me. The first half of the season, I was like, okay, this is, you know, it's not great. He's not a number one, but I was okay at this first half of the season. In the second half of the season, he just dropped off big time, man. I mean, his target, his catch percentage is less than 50%. He didn't have any touchdowns. He had a, you know, the Philly game was really good. But besides that, it was a lot of two catch games, zero catch games, one catch games. He, to me, had an underwhelming season. And, you know, my expectations weren't for the roof for him. I, we got very excited after Pittsburgh and called him a wide receiver one. I think that might have been, you know, awards. That might have been our overreaction of the year was that Darius Slayton was a number one after week one. Um, but I still think this guy can be a solid number two. Um, but I, I was underwhelmed with Darius Slayton's year. And maybe we'll hear that he's injured and he's getting surgery by the time this episode's out. Yeah, it's tough because the Giants literally started the year with that big play action, 47-yard touchdown post route over the middle of the field where Darius Slayton went over a cornerback and a deep safety to catch that touchdown. So uh, it was tough. That's how we started out the year, and I feel like that was one of our last explosive plays. <laughs> that we had went two for a touchdowns touchdown. in that game. You know how many he had since in 15 games? I think one or two. One. First Washington, Washington, first yeah. Washington, the first Washington came on that go about go ball on the left side. And then they took a touchdown off the board against Dallas week five. Um, so, yeah, yep. tough, tough. Uh, I, I still believe in them. Uh, I, oh, I do, too. But it was underwhelming. I'm definitely I don't know if I'm rooting. I'm rooting. I, I'm kind of rooting to hear that he did suffer some kind of injury. You know, maybe maybe he doesn't need surgery. Maybe it's just, hey, let's just put it in, put it in a boot for a few weeks and we'll be good. A few months will be OK. But I am rooting for for his future. I kind of want to hear like, oh, yeah, Darius Slayton was suffering this injury and he was playing through it. Because if he wasn't playing through an injury, then I'm kind of concerned. No, and he was able to get separation on those go balls. Well, hell, even in the beginning of the year. But in 2019 and this year, it just seemed like he couldn't get that. Like he could make some nice catches, but he just wasn't getting yeah. that consistent separation or being able to be that total like jump ball guy you can go yeah. to. All right, just, Justin, do the deed. Who is your most underwhelming player? Most underwhelming player for me. Uh, surprise, surprise is uh, Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram. Uh, 
Now here, I'll, I'll give I'll give my speech that I'm going to give a couple a couple more times this offseason. I've already gave it 17 times during the season. Uh, there has not been a single skill position player, largely wide receivers and tight ends, that has negatively impacted his team by being targeted. Now, I understand that some of those interceptions were not his fault, but the Giants do need to take a hard look in the mirror. And as Giants fans, we do need to have a difficult Evan Ingram conversation this offseason because there is a difference between causation and correlation. He caused X amount of turnovers, which was he caused a decent amount of turnovers, but even in the turnovers that he was simply just associated with, and maybe that wasn't his fault, we need to talk about, you know, is Evan Ingram actually a tight, if like if we want to have a, t- a balanced tight end in the national, like in our offense, right? If Joe Judge wants to have a tight end that can block and run routes and can run routes well, and isn't just a burner if you get him out in space, if that's what we want our tight end to be, and if that's what Joe Judge wants our tight end to be, Evan Ingram may not be the guy. Um, I am no evaluator of route running, but I, you know, we've been told by people that are smarter than us that Evan Ingram isn't the best route runner. Um, and just because you have, you know, what four, four, five speed, whatever, four, four speed, whatever his forty yard dashes, just because you have that speed doesn't mean that you are a great route runner. Um, so. We need to have a we need to have a difficult Evan Ingram conversation uh, this year because he played 16 games. This was the first season in his NFL career that he played 16 games, but he arguably cost his team more by being out on the football field versus being on the bench, which is a tough pill to swallow. I just got a, We just had a chat saying that Giants officially keeping staying with general manager. Hold on. Hold on. Re- Pause. This might be New York Post with a clickbaity article. Ah, New York Post. Gotta love them. Gotta love the Post. Yeah, Jeff- I mean, I'm looking at my tweet notification, which has all the people that are important, and there's... Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Take a breath. Take a breath there. Take a collective breath, everyone. We good? Yeah, New York we're... Post. New York Post just being clickbaity? Yeah, we're good. I, I, yeah. Okay. So Giants future said Paul or Paul Schwartz. Okay. So we're good. Yeah. It's, it's clickbaity, but thanks, know, Paul. Love you, Paul. Paul Schwartz uh, had a funny moment. Um, had a funny moment where he just didn't know what wide receiver separation was a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> I remember that, dude. That was so funny. <laughs> he, he was like, is it, is it measured in time? He, he actually asked if wide receiver separation was measured in time. I don't know. I don't know how that would be done. Uh, love you, Paul Schwartz. All right. Most underrated. I, I like Paul, kind of. Most underrated. Well, I want to talk about your underwhelming with Evan Ingram. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't give you a chance to react. The issue was never to me Evan Ingram's production. I know there was there was critiques of oh they should use him this way, but I was always fine with what Evan Ingram did, catch yards, catch wise yards, wise touchdowns, wise. It wasn't top of the league tight end stuff, um, but I was always fine with it. And well, this year he's healthy. And it was so bad, man. It was so bad. I mean, the numbers aren't even good. Uh, I think he had like 60, 63 catches for, you know, 600 yards. Um, only two touch – or only one touchdown catch. Uh, one was one was rushing. I, he is someone, and I get people hate him, and, and they hate him because of his play, and that's understandable. I just feel bad for him. I feel bad for him because dropping the ball has nothing to do – with with work ethic i just feel bad for him because that's his issue is he just he doesn't catch the ball and when he does he pops it up like a volleyball player 
If anything, just start facing your hands downward. So when you do drop the ball, it just goes into the dirt. And we could be yeah. mad at that and not you causing turnovers. Daniel Jones had one interception since that horrible Tampa game. He has one interception, and that's it. Everything can popping the ball up in there. That's so frustrating, dude. So, yeah, yeah he's definitely underwhelming. Um, so now most underrated. Um, I'll go first with this one since you got to go uh, – since you already talked about it. Darnay, Darnay Holmes is my most underrated. Um, we'll talk about him more in the cornerback uh, episode, but it's not talked about enough how nickel corner was an issue for this team. And we may have the guy coming out of the fourth round. Like that is really valuable. And it's not, I don't think it's smoke and mirrors. I think he's, he's a good corner yep. Darnay, and he's going to get better. If Darnay Holmes can stay healthy, we have our nickel corner. Like that is so, so valuable. And we've got him on a rookie contract. The fact that Darnay Holmes is playing really well, in a position that's not easy to play well as when you're young. We've seen it even with guys like, you know, DeAndre Baker, young corner. I mean, uh, Jeff Okuda with the Lions struggled this year. Couldn't even get on the field at times. The fact that he went out there and played well in that spot is so huge. And I maybe not even the most underrated like player, but just the most underrated facet to this team going forward is that we have a nickel corner. We don't have to worry about nickel corner going into 2021 like we know we know who's starting at that spot and it'll be darnay holmes for four years too i mean that that's the plus side of the plus side of drafting well is you get a player for four years <laughs> that that player's there and the player's cheap so i absolutely cannot agree uh more most underrated i'll kind of go through a quick with this my most underrated player is dexter lawrence i would say dalvin Tomlinson, but i feel like it's it, how many times do you have to be said that this player is underrated for him to not be underrated? Exactly. So I, that's, that's why I'm going with Dexter Lawrence. Um, Dexter Lawrence, actually fun fact. He saw 63% of the snaps last year, 2019, his rookie year. He saw 60% this year, you know, full year of Leonard Williams. will do that versus last year. There was half a year with Leonard Williams. So 702 defensive snaps last year. Saw 655 this year. So that's 45, 40, that's 47 less snaps that he had compared to his 2019 season. So in 47 less snaps though, he'd still had more sacks two and a half to four. He had two pass deflections versus uh, one in 2019. He had a ton more tackles. He had 53 tackles versus 38 last year. He had six tackles for loss, three versus his rookie year. That's double. Um, quarterback hits, 10 to nine improvement. Pressures had the same Best amount of pressures. 10 to nine. Um, I said, what did I say? 10 to nine. I said quarterback uh, Quarterback hits. He went from nine to 10, excuse me. Oh, okay, sorry. One, one better. Um and pass rush, he has still had 15 pressures, all according to Pro Football Reference. They they underestimate pressures. He had six QB knockdowns, save him out of hurries. Um, he was really good. He was really good. He was really underrated. Um, and he's at a spot that can really bump up in year three, too, in that defensive yes. tackle spot. So Yes, and especially considering he's probably going to be getting a decent snap bump next year if either Williams or Dalvin Tomlinson is not brought back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be an interesting conversation. All right. Most improved. Who is, who is most improved for your, the, for you, Justin, my most improved. And I kind of maybe breaking the parameters of the whole, of the whole game here, but he wasn't a giant last year. There wasn't a lot of people who were on the giants last year that really improved. My guy is Logan Ryan. Logan Ryan was a guy who I, low-key bashed over the offseason i bashed him 
because similar to James Bradbury, except I wasn't bashing James Bradbury, but similar to Bradbury, let me find my, let me find my numbers here. So when Logan Ryan was playing slot corner last year in Tennessee, 2019, he was targeted 103 times. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. He is a guy that has been targeted a ton throughout his NFL career, especially when he's playing corner, but changing him and changing him to free safety revitalized his career. And it really made like, it really highlighted his strengths. And it was a lot of the things that Bobby Skinner talked about on film before the season about how he disguises his looks. He plays a mental game with the quarterback. That's tougher to do when you're playing corner, when you're playing maybe man-to-man or when you're covering a zone of the field. I feel like he, Patrick Graham gave him a ton of discretion to do what he has to do, and he became a top safety and a top player, defensive player in the National Football League this year. So he's the most improved player in my book. Well, my most improved is going to really make um, Joseph Moyo and our, our chat really happy. Going on, Isaac Yadam. Isaac Yadam is my most improved player. I mean, he, you know, Corey Ballantyne sucked in that first Pittsburgh game. So they put out Isaac Yadam. And Isaac Yadam sucked too. He was just as, he was basically just as bad as Corey Ballantyne. They start Ryan Lewis. You, you get a little happy about Ryan Lewis against San Fran, uh, you know, LA. And then he gets burnt twice in two weeks against, uh, you know, uh, um, the Eagles and the Cowboys. He gets burnt for big plays that end up. Um, then he gets hurt, and Isaac Yadon comes back, and, and then he's good. He was good. I mean, there was one game where he was our number one corner against the Cleveland Browns, and he didn't play great in that game, but he wasn't an all-out liability like some of our corners were in 2019. Now, I, I think Jerome Henderson deserves a lot of credit because we're talking about corners a ton here, and, and we may talk about him another one here in a second too. Um, but for me, Isaac, Isaac Yadon, man, he went from – a waste of a seventh round, like a, a way, like a legit waste of a seventh round draft pick. The Broncos gave up on him. Um, we traded a seventh round pick and it's like, up, oh, this guy's not, he's, he's not here too. Wow. It's like now nice. We got this guy, whether he's a death or, or, or a starter going to 2021, he's not a liability. That's for sure. So Isaac, you my most improved I like that. That was kind of, kind of unexpected. I like that. Do we want to go defensive uh, MVP or offensive MVP? Defensive MVP. MVP. I'm going James Bradbury and, and we're running a little late with long one time right now, which we try to keep the off season episodes less than an hour. So I'll keep it quick. I mean, he is a shutdown top three cornerback in the league. He allowed Patrick Graham to do different things this year. And, and you know, Logan Ryan, Blake Martinez, those guys would talk about it in the interviews. James Bradbury allows you to roll coverages everywhere. And, and, hey, it lets you have Darnay Holmes be your most uh, uh, under underrated player and Isaac Yadam be your um, most improved and, and allows Logan Ryan to play that safety role. He makes everyone better just by simply being good. Just by being as good as he, am, he is, he makes the whole defense better and allows Patrick Graham to do what he wants to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, James Bradbury is my defensive MVP. Love it. Love it. My defensive MVP is Blake Martinez. Think these two could be a little obvious. Maybe not a little obvious because I'm sure a lot of people thought I would go Leonard Williams, but let's be real. I think without having a reliable interior linebacker, without having a guy that's, that's back there, that's, that's calling the necessary plays, making the necessary adjustments without having that guy back there. Um, I think it makes the guys up front look better. I think it even makes James Bradbury in the secondary look a little better too because you can trust that Blake Martinez, you can kind of leave him on an island and he can take care of business and he can take advantage of his front guys, defensive lineman playing well too. Um, he tweeted out today 
uh, or yesterday, top three in tackles four years in a row. He's the first ever player to do that. So good for him. Uh, even though he struggled with injuries all year, he played 97% of the snaps. He played, he started all 16 games. He just missed a few snaps here and there. Even when we thought that he was, uh, <laughs> when we thought that he might be missing, he got three sacks. And additionally, he didn't allow a touchdown this year in coverage when in years past, he would allow a lot of touchdowns. Um, so good for him. Good for Blake Martinez. Very happy to have him on the team. I love the way Patrick Graham uses his linebackers and it had to be refreshing for him to play behind those defensive tackles. Like I know people really get on Dave Gilman for the defensive tackles things, but those guys allow you to do things. It allows you to play your linebackers in coverage. It allows your linebackers to run more freely in the run game. Um, it's it, it was a blessing for Blake right. Martinez, man. And I don't, he's another one of those guys. Like, what do we do without Blake Martinez? Like, if, if without Blake Martinez, Devontae Downs and like Tay Crowder or TJ Brunson yeah. are starting linebackers week one. Yeah, we love we love Tay Crowder, but somebody needs to step up and make those plays consistently in terms of those defensive linemen are filling their holes. And Blake Martinez was a guy that stepped up and filled those holes all year. So um, again, another guy where you're happy to have him around. He signed a three-year deal, almost wish he signed a longer deal, um, to be honest. But two more years of solid Blake Martinez production. So love it. And it seems like he loves being a giant too. So he does. We we love we love Blake. Offensive MVP, Justin. Sterling Shepard, the fact that he had almost a 75% catch rate to end the season is insane. He played 12 games, um, finished with 66 catches, 90 targets. The yards per reception is low. It's 9.9. It was almost 10. Actually, it kind of matches what he did in 2019. Oh, that's that's strange. So yards. So Sterling Shepard becoming this wide receiver that is a possession wide receiver, that's a security blanket for Daniel Jones. Uh, that wasn't just a Pat Shermer thing. It was a really a role, a role change for him. Um, it's a shame that he only played 12 games. I would have loved to see what he could have done in 16 games, especially feel like he was really catching momentum towards the end of the season, maybe when he got more even more healthy. But 75% catch rate is insane. Um being that reliable for your quarterback when nothing was reliable in this long. offense is insane. Yeah. So good for Sterling Shepard. He's my offensive MVP. And I'm going to look it up real quick. I think it was above 80 and then he played with freaking Colt McCoy against Cleveland and that screwed it up. Oh, let's look game logs against Cleveland. He had seven catches or four catches on seven targets. So not that bad. Oh no, it was Seattle. He had one. So with, Okay, with Colt McCoy, he had five catches on 13 targets, which is less than 50%. So that's five for 13. And so what's his total numbers for the year? We're going to do some math real quick. Quick math. I think it's uh, 66 over 90. So 61 divided by 77. With Daniel Jones, he had a 79% catch rate. Gee, <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> That's crazy. And he had his best games when he was playing in the slot, and we think in 2021 he will be solely in the slot spot position. Yes. Hey, hey, I kind of hit on my offensive. I kind of hit on all my players this year. I told you to believe in Leonard Williams. I told you to believe in Sterling Shepard. I hit on all my people. Speaking of guys who we told you to believe in, my offensive MVP, and it went between Shep and this guy, to me is Nick Gates. Now, I know it's not the sexy pick, but Nick Gates to me is the offensive MVP. And I heard some people saying, wow, for an average swing tackle to turn into this center, that's that's outstanding. Bull crap. He was not an average swing tackle. 
He was he was the best offensive lineman in every game he played last year for the Giants. The best one. Like, not as good as Kevin Zeidler, but there was games where he was the best offensive lineman. He was better than Mike Remmers. He was better than Nate Solder. And that was the whole reason to play him as center. like, this guy can't be on the bench. He can't be on the bench. So maybe you don't think he's going to be a tackle long-term, but he cannot be on the bench. There's not room for him at guard with, with Zeitler and Hernandez. He's got to be on the field, and he's smart enough, hardworking enough to figure that out. And he went from a guy people – people were calling for Spencer Pulley. Spencer Pulley to now he's everyone's favorite player. Nick Gates is everyone's favorite player. To me, he was the best offensive lineman uh, on this team this year from week one to week se- week 17. He, you know, Kevin Zeidler had some bad moments. I mean, I almost picked Kevin Zeidler most underwhelming, um, which, you know, would have hurt me to do, but I, I guess I didn't do it. Um, but he was the best offensive lineman. Uh, you know, Shep had a good year, but it's like Slayton couldn't have been the offensive MVP. Daniel Jones couldn't have been the offensive MVP with only, you know, 12 total touchdowns. I mean, he probably with fumbles, he had probably had more turnovers than, than touchdowns. So I wasn't going to make him it. Uh, Andrew Thomas had a rocky start of the year. To me, Evan Ingram sure as hell ain't going to be it. Nick Gates is the most steady and consistent and in a very important position of center. And we have a starting offensive lineman going forward, Nick Gates. So Nick Gates is my 2020 offensive MVP. What? What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I was trying to give you the signal to wrap it up. I know, but. I know. Sorry, sorry that this episode is long, but we didn't plan on talking about this game at all, but the Philly stuff happened. Um, so I, we promise our episodes in the offseason will be less than an hour. They will be less than an hour. Sorry if this one was long, but there was just so much to um to catch up on. Seriously, we appreciate you guys for this off season, this season, man. Like it, I, I, I feel sad not being able to do episodes, but I think you, you guys are going to make this offseason fun. We'll get back into a, a groove. I, I seriously do appreciate what you guys have done for us this year, listeners. So appreciate you guys. We'll see you soon. As soon as John Mayer, Dave Gellman speak, we'll be recording that night and have an episode out for you. Until then, let's go Big Blue. Ball and Play 2 presented by DraftKings is underway. Head over to our Warehouse Games channel to see all the action from Ball and Play. Get some skin in the game and download the DraftKings app right now. Don't forget to use our promo code WAREHOUSE. That's promo code WAREHOUSE only at DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours.